Okay, this is a meaty subject, so let's get started. Motion to dismiss and motion for judgment on the pleadings. So, starting with motion to dismiss, under Rule 12b, a motion to dismiss may be made prior to filing an answer. A motion to dismiss requires the court to, one, consider the facts in the light most favorable to the non-moving party, and two, determine whether there is any basis upon which relief can be granted for the non-moving party. If there is any basis for relief, the court must deny the petition, must deny the motion. Um, the court does not evaluate the merits of the case in the motion to dismiss. Um, you know, another one is a motion for the judgment on the pleadings. This is not, this is kind of rarely granted because, um, you know, it's hard to grant this. Um, a motion for any non-waivable defense may be made at any time early enough uh, not to delay the trial. However, it is referred to as a motion for judgment on the pleadings if it is made after the defendant has answered. Um, looking at grounds for motion and waiver. So, a party may bring a motion in order to dismiss one or more claims on certain specified grounds. Such grounds include, one, lack of subject matter jurisdiction, two, lack of personal jurisdiction, three, improper venue, four, insufficient process, five, insufficient service of process, six, failure to state a claim upon which relief can be granted, and seven, failure to join a necessary party. Um, the grounds listed in two through five, so that is personal jurisdiction, improper venue, insufficient process, and insufficient service of process, are deemed waived if not raised in the first responsive pleading or motion to dismiss. A motion for lack of subject matter jurisdiction, on the other hand, cannot be waived and may be made at any time, even on appeal. So remember that subject matter jurisdiction cannot be waived. So any problem that says that as an answer, that's wrong. Okay, so now we'll talk about motion for summary judgment. So a court will grant a motion for summary judgment when there is no genuine issue of material fact and the movement is entitled to judgment as a matter of law. When reviewing the motion, the court must view the evidence in the light most favorable to the non-moving party. So when talking about the first prong with the genuine issue of material fact, an issue of material fact is genuine if the evidence is such that a reasonable jury could return a verdict for the non-moving party, and as to materiality, only disputes over facts that might affect the outcome of the suit will properly preclude the entry of summary judgment. Factual disputes that are irrelevant or unnecessary will not be counted. Where the moving party presents evidence of the facts that would defeat the non-moving party's claim, the non-moving party must offer evidence of specific facts showing that there is a genuine issue for trial by affidavits or other evidence. A party may move for summary judgment on the entire case or on certain issues, partial summary judgment, and may file the motion at any time until 30 days after the close of discovery, unless a different time is set by local rule or court order. If a motion to dismiss or motion on the judgment of pleadings presents matters outside the pleadings, the court may treat the motion as a motion for summary judgment. When this occurs, all parties must be given a reasonable opportunity to present evidence that is pertinent to the motion. 
Next, we'll talk about a motion for judgment as a matter of law. A motion for judgment as a matter of law, or a J-O-M-O-L, may be made at any time before the case is submitted to the jury. The motion must specify the judgment sought and the laws and facts that entitle the movement to the judgment. The motion will be granted if 1. The non-moving party has been fully heard on an issue during jury trial, and 2. The court finds that a reasonable jury would not have a legally sufficient basis to rule in favor of the non-moving party on the on that issue. A motion for JMOL was formerly known as a motion for directed verdict. On a motion for JMOL, the court must draw all reasonable inferences in the light most favorable to the opposing party and cannot substitute other inferences that might be regarded as more reasonable. It is the function of the jury as the traditional finder of the facts and not for the court to weigh conflicting evidence and inferences and determine the credibility of witnesses. Thus, a court cannot reverse the denial of a motion for JMOL unless the jury's factual findings are a not supported by substantial evidence or b if the legal conclusions from the verdict are not supported by the factual findings a party may renew its motion for jmol only if that party moved for jmol before the case was submitted to the jury a renewed motion for jmol must be filed within 28 days of the entry of judgment in ruling on the renewed motion the court may one allow judgment on the verdict if the jury returned a verdict, b. 2. Order a new trial, or 3. Direct the entry of JMOL. A motion for renewed JMOL was formerly known as a motion for judgment notwithstanding the verdict. A court may wisely reverse ruling on a motion for JMOL made at the close of evidence for a post-verdict decision because a jury verdict may moot the issue and because a pre-verdict ruling gambles a reversal that may result in a new trial. Finally, we'll talk about motion for a new trial. So, uh, sorry, I had to take a breath. (laughs) A motion for a new trial must be filed no later than 28 days after the entry of judgment. The court may grant a motion for a new trial on the entire case or on particular issues for any reason for which a new trial has been previously granted in federal court. Such reasons include, one, an error at trial that makes the judgment unfair, such as incorrect jury instructions or evidentiary ruling, new evidence surfaced that could not have been obtained with due diligence for the original trial, prejudicial misconduct of a party, attorney, third party, or juror, four, the judgment was against the weight of evidence, or five, the verdict was excessive or inadequate. Since the credibility of witnesses is for the jury to decide, it is an invasion of the jury's province to grant a new trial merely because the evidence was sharply in conflict. So that's it for motions. Um, I'm going to really quickly just go into a slightly different subject just because it's short. So I think it's just better for me to get it out of the way now. So let's talk really quickly about verdicts and judgments, namely the preclusive effect of a default judgment. So a default judgment will have a preclusive effect if the rendering court had jurisdiction over the claims and the parties to the action, so both subject matter jurisdiction and personal jurisdiction. A state court must give a judgment rendered in a federal diversity action the same effect that it would accord a judgment rendered in a state court under state law. States vary as to the extent of preclusion a default judgment is given. 
However, a default judgment bars a party from asserting co uh, compulsory clowner claims that could have been raised in the original action. Again, I don't know if that's necessarily the most important subject to know like the back of your hand. It was only mentioned on one essay in July 2007. But, you know, um, good to listen and have an idea that preclusive effects of default judgments can exist. Okay, so next we will move on to claim preclusion and issue preclusion in the next episode.